and welcome to Everybody A, Everybody Gay. A queer exploration of Pretty Little Liars. With your hosts, Speak Pirate, a.k.a. Joanna, I'm here, I'm queer, and I have a cat named Spencer. And your other host, Elsie, a.k.a. Vina, a proud member of the Church of Vander Jesus. Vina, it's here. The debut of one Paige McCullers. Oh my gosh. I mean, Paige McCullers is here in, in her banged, um, you know, long necklace, just anxious as all get out, big crazy eyes glory. She is here and uh, she is making herself known in this episode. Yes, we meet the not yet out, not yet done with those bangs swimmer who has already had the distinction of having a field hockey penalty named after her. It's an episode that is all about what lurks in the shadows, and we get more of sketchy new kid Caleb Rivers, a couple of fights, some remarkable hats, and one extremely convenient death. Let's jump in and hope nobody holds us underwater. <laughs> yeah, I, I'll just say before we before we get started, I... I went on an interesting journey with this episode. The first time I watched it, I was super delighted by it. The second time I watched it, I was like, eh, I feel like this is this is a little bit scattered. But then I began to look ahead at what some of the, the episodes to come are. And I really feel like this is the episode that's setting the stage for the rest of 1B. Um, the Emily Meyer relationships and Sean Hanna relationships are basically done with for now. Noel and Toby have been cleared as suspects. Caleb and Paige have been introduced. Ella and Byron are reconnecting. So we're kind of um, clearing the deck and getting ready for uh, the, the different plot threads that are going to drive the rest of the season and setting up some relationship dynamics as well. Agree. Agree. Uh, we start off with the liars staggering downstairs post sleepover. Ian has gone to Philly to be with Melissa, so they are safe from his aggressive domesticity invitations to come out to the barn and possible murdering. Uh, Hannah and Emily are sleepy. Spencer's avoiding looking at the picture by making coffee, but Detective Aria is activated. She's been up all night. She's wearing an insane fuzzy tassel hat, and Hannah is sure one of her eyes is bigger than the other, telling her she looks like a strung out Powerpuff girl. Yes, I posit that, you know, Aria seems to have gotten some of Spencer's, like, detective energy, and I'm wondering if maybe they slept in the same bed and it just kind of transferred over. It definitely, that definitely could be it. Um, Aria's big discovery is that the picture must have been taken from Allison's bedroom, possibly by Jason, who, conveniently enough, happens to be back in town. Uh, none of the others want to talk to him, so Spencer says that she will, because it's important, but really because she knows what the shadow knows, which for the record is that she's the shadow. Right. Now, this moment sort of um, stood out to me because obviously we know that Spencer jumps to talk to Jason because she kind of wants to get in front of this whole picture shadow. She possibly killed Allison situation. But I also feel like in these early seasons before we got confirmation that Spencer and Jason were siblings, there was kind of this, um, this unspoken connection that Spencer felt towards Jason. And uh, I'm, I'm interested in keeping an eye on that. I feel like we're kind of seeing the seeds of that here. And even in the previous episode with Jason, where all of the, the Jason happenings were taking place at the Hastings home. And Spencer was sort of the go-between between between Jason and the liars. That is going to be very interesting to track because 
on one hand, I feel like her connection to first head Jason to this uh, particular itineration of his character is a lot stronger than it is to second head Jason when he comes Mm -hmm. on the scene. But I think it's interesting because Spencer spends a lot of time in these seasons being a little bit afraid of herself. And so in that way, I think that her fear of Jason, when Jason seems to be romantically interested in Arya, is going to be an interesting note to explore. So I look forward mm-hmm. to that. I agree. I agree. Um, the, I would say the first example of this episode, maybe not being quite as good as the one before it, is that our fade into credits is not like a super punched up line like we're sometimes used to we just kind of go into credits but when we come back we're in the Marin house where uh Hannah has designated a new bank in the Marin kitchen we have moved on from the lasagna box to the popsicle box where Hannah is tucking some cash away I feel like these earrings that she's wearing are so long and so heavy they look like they could probably wind a grandfather's clock uh and ashley is on the phone and becomes very concerned when she learns that mrs potter has made an appointment to see her also we get confirmation that uh it was fifty thousand dollars so our our estimate was was pretty close uh yeah and, and there's a lot of concern between the mayor and women here I really like how Ashley describes Mrs. Potter as the lender for un- our unauthorized loan. Yes. Way to commit. Way to commit to that particular perspective. Uh, she could also possibly be referred to as the lady used to love that money from. But, you know, it's not a felony until you get caught. Right. Well, and what I love about that is that that's, that feels like Hannah logic, too. Like, Hannah's, Hannah is very much like, well, we'll just go with this thing until it doesn't work, but we're going to totally commit to it and we're just going to try it. And and so you you see, even though Ashley is sometimes seen as maybe a more cynical character, she really, there's you can see that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree in terms of their um, sometimes reckless optimism. Yes, this is also an interesting episode because it's one where Ashley is so worried for herself that she actually needs to shut Hannah out a little bit. Like she cannot... Um, really like comfort or deal with all of the emotions that Hannah is having because Ashley herself is pretty sure she's going to get fired uh, or arrested or at least yelled at in a very severe way. Um, so in, in the end of this scene, uh, Hannah is freaking out, asking what they're going to do. And Ashley just throws it down. You're going to go to school. Mm-hmm. And then, yes. We, we switch to a beautiful shot of a large behatted shadow ascending a ramp into some sort of stadium. Lo, it is Spencer looking small next to the hugeness of her looming shadow, despite her large floppy brimmed hat, which I tentatively ID as a wool felt floppy fedora. You have no idea how many Facebook ads I get for hats now that we have been recapping the show. And I need to perpetually look up what these ladies have on their heads uh but spencer in all of these clothes meets up with a half-naked first-headed jason who is wearing only sweatshirt shorts and is working out by running up and down the stairs of the unnamed athletic facility uh spencer is in an olive pea coat cuffed jeans and white ankle boots uh she almost punks out on showing him the picture but eventually does it when he presses her uh he kind of says well you know people sent them all kinds of crazy things in the mail after Allie disappeared to which i say was that Allie or charlotte or mona or just looky-loos what do you think 
Oh, I think that's a great question. I mean, I, I would guess that it's probably a combination of, of real clues and fake clues. I, um, you know, Pretty Little Liars never really went the route of going into sort of the media response or even really that much the town response to Allison's uh, suspected death slash disappearance. And that was probably for the, for the best. I mean, there, we certainly had a lot of characters to contend with as it was. But that is an interesting detail that Jason brings up that uh, is kind of the reality of these big high profile cases. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I, I really like this scene because neither Jason or Spencer are very comfortable uh, in Spencer's case, it's because uh, she thinks that he took the picture and suspects that maybe he knows that it's her in the yard and he's uncomfortable because he doesn't remember taking the picture or what he might have been doing in Allie's room. But despite this you know, uncertainty on both of their parts, he does promise to take the picture to a private investigator that his family has hired uh, and he'll see if it's legit. Uh, he also does something that demonstrates why Jason, uh, more second head Jason, but still this Jason, is one of my favorite guys on the show. And he, that is that he recognizes he behaved badly at the memorial. He holds himself accountable and he apologizes to Spencer. Good point. Good point. Yeah, this is uh, I love Spencer sort of wanting somebody to call her guilty. I mean, that's kind of what's happening um, in this episode, but happens a lot through Spencer's arc, that she feels like she did something terrible. She doesn't really know what it is, and she can't really say it, you know, because as as we'll learn from Paige McCullers, if you say things out loud, they become real. So she wants somebody else to say it for her. Um, and in this scene, there's almost a desperation here of like, she really wants him to say, yes, Spencer, I saw you in the yard. And as we'll learn later, Spencer was hopped up on study aid during this time period. So she sort of ironically enough also doesn't remember exactly what happened due to her own drug problem, um, which is another kind of weird connection point between Spencer and Jason. Yes, yes, complete agreement. And I really like what you said about Spencer is just waiting and almost wanting someone to call her guilty because I feel like that dovetails really nicely with the arc of a character we are about to meet. Dun, dun, dun. Oh my goodness. Um, yes, we're, we're at the Rosewood High Pool. I noticed there's a lot of music in this episode. There's a lot of like background poppy music um, and a lot of underwater camera work. They really, I think they got like an underwater camera budget. Uh, so we're introducing this scene to two new characters. We've got Coach Fulton, who I really enjoyed in this episode. I forgot how great she is. And one Paige McCullers. Emily is swimming. She hops out of the pool. Uh, Paige McCullers hops out beside her. And there, there's already, you can tell with Paige, there's a lot of energy. There's a lot going on underneath the surface here. Um, the coach and Paige uh, remark that they're happy to have Emily back, which I guess maybe Emily's not been swimming, what, since, since Allie died, since Maya came on the scene? That's not really defined. Uh, but she's been back or she's been gone and now she's come back. And uh, oh my goodness, Paige's face when she's looking at Emily is like, it's like heart eyes and terror all rolled into one. Uh, and, and already we're sort of seeing this, this dichotomy here. Paige is very, very preppy. And Maya was much more this, this hippie character. Oh my gosh. What are your thoughts on Paige in this opening scene? Oh, well, I, the first thing that Paige says is she's telling Emily to ease up. This is a practice, not a meet. 
uh, which is not really great framing for a wannabe captain uh, that, that Paige describes herself as. The thing that I love about this is that we see Paige trying so hard. Um, she is trying to be a leader. She's trying to suck up to the coaches. She's trying to be the best swimmer. And everything that Paige wants to be, Emily just is just mm -hmm. effortlessly. Um, the coaches are so happy to have Emily back. Uh, the coaches seem a little annoyed with Paige's trying too hard sort of demeanor that she has going on. Uh, and that Paige is just, she's so passive aggressive with Emily while also like you can tell just sort of longing for an actual connection with her. So it's a it's a great scene i love the dynamic between the two of them and uh you know the scene ends they're, they're soaking wet throughout the whole scene they're just literally dripping as they have mm -hmm. the whole interaction and uh it ends with emily declaring that she was distracted but that's over now so just whoo look out now do you think that this distraction she alludes to is meant to be maya or meant to be the aftermath of allison's death <laughs> Um, I think it's probably the aftermath of Allison's death, mostly, but I also think that the Maya situation, we know that she was at least going to practice uh, in the first episode when she was talking about what time, uh, what time practice was as she was walking Maya home, uh, but I feel like, you know, there's probably some, some time differences, the, the season is really gearing up at this point. So I think that this is just a situation where she's back and she's here to win. Mm -hmm. Oh gosh, Paige. Like I, there's, I relate to Paige a lot and her just her, her wanting to be the, the person that other people like respond to and like, and, and her feeling like that's not the response she's getting back and then doubling down rather than like easing up. Oh man, like I, there's just something about that that feels so familiar to me and is really kind of painful to see. It is so, uh, it's so amazing to me that PLL for as cab campy and fantastical as the show is and, and becomes, uh, in the midst of all of the, you know, the stalking and the techno nonsense and, uh, you know, the, the noir feel that they have, they all create one of the most realistic portrayals of a teenage lesbian that I have ever seen on television. And it's a hundred percent Paige McCullers. Um, and I think it makes sense to talk a little bit like here at the first sighting of Paige about the divided feelings that the PLL fandom tends to have uh, about her character. I think people tend to be all in either on Paley or Emerson, you know, like you love one, you hate the other. And that tends to translate into hating either Paige or Allie. And, and I know we've talked about this before. I really see them both as two sides of the same coin. They're both teenagers dealing with families where it isn't okay to be different and really rampant internalized homophobia uh, and biphobia. They react in ways that are not great. They make mistakes, but ultimately, they both do love Emily. Uh, their relationships with Emily are distinctly different and, you know, both have their own strengths and challenges. But at least this is not a cheap love triangle. At least Emily does have three viable queer love interests over the course of the show. 
And, uh, you know, like to, to paraphrase Hamilton, I would say to you, the world is wide enough for Emerson and Paley. I totally agree. Um, I'm almost tempted for us to table this discussion until the end of the episode, because there's a, a, an event that takes place at the end of the episode between Paige and Emily that is highly controversial when it comes to this ship. Um, but I totally agree that the world is indeed wide enough. Um, I think I've said it on the podcast before. I've certainly said it to you before that I actually think Paige probably has the best arc of any queer character on the show, ultimately. Um, but there are plenty of bumps along the way. Um, that being said, I'm so glad that we have have and have had Paige McCullers on our TV screens. And uh, yeah, I think I think we should talk a little more at the end of the episode because um, I think that there's actually more similarities even between Allison and Paige that we'll get into there. I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, but at school, I mean, Hannah, who is just, she is like a ball of worry and tears in this episode, which maybe is part of the reason why I didn't love this episode as much. Cause Hannah's not really on her usual Hannah game. Um, she's super worried about her mom. We see that Spencer's outfit is a little bit less subdued without the jacket. She's got a vest and some big red polka dots going on. And she also has some tickets for Presria. Um, Aria, Aria and Ezra are going to be going to this museum, uh, museum opening where the artist will be there. Spencer has procured the tickets uh, and is going to be Aria's alibi. She, uh, she mentions a DVD rental, which certainly dates this episode. And I think we learn here that Jake Gyllenhaal is Spencer's crush. We'll learn later about potentially who Hannah's celebrity crush is. Um, but I have some thoughts on Hannah in this scene because Hannah says, aren't you both going to the museum thingy, which I choose to interpret as confirmation that Hannah ships Sparia. And I, you know, we see in this scene, Hannah is, is already showing some skepticism towards Presria. And I, I, obviously we're meant to read that in because of what's going to happen later in the episode. But I, I have some thoughts about why Hannah, more than the other liars, would feel betrayed by the Presria secret. And my thoughts are, are that Arya, um, quote unquote, entrusted Hannah with the secret about her boyfriend in Iceland. And this was a secret that, to Hannah's knowledge, nobody else knew. This was a thing that Arya and Hannah shared. And according to Allie, secrets are what keeps them close. So I feel like there's this part of Hannah that feels a real sense of betrayal, that she feels like she and Arya had this secret together that kept them close. I also think that that's part of why Hannah felt um, so honored by the news that of, of Emily coming out to her first. And um, not, you know, look, that was all a lie and that in fact there was this bigger secret that Arya was keeping from all of them uh, is, is really hitting Hannah in a way that she might not even totally realize. What are your thoughts? That, that's an interesting take. I do love that Hannah kind of stage whispers, you're taking Mr. Fitz? <laughs> to which Arya says she wishes Hannah would just call him Ezra. And I, I love that. I think that's a hilarious inversion oh. of Hannah. I think your sound just cut out. Oh. Oh, wait. Now you're back. Great. Okay. Well, I was saying that it's an inversion of Hannah constantly calling parents by their first name post-time jump. Right. Right. But I do think that Hannah uh, does have more reservations about Presria 
I always kind of attributed that to Hannah. Um, by the numbers, there are a couple of exceptions, but uh, just in general, in terms of the people who she looks to oh, for relationships. Sound just cut out. Oh, no. Oh, and now I can hear you. Okay, um, but Hannah does not look to older guys for relationships in the way that Spencer and Aria do. I feel like that's a point of commonality that Spencer has with Aria that Hannah doesn't. There are exceptions to that, Holbrook and uh, at one point, briefly, Wren. But I think that over the course of the show, Hannah has way more age-appropriate love interests than, uh, than anybody besides Emily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I actually have, um, I have more to say later on in this episode about um, why I think Mona uh, presents, presents Hannah with the task that Mona is presented with in this episode, but I'll wait until, until later to talk about it. Uh, but I was really interested in, you know, I, I've spent a lot of time thinking about Spencer's reaction to Presria, but I've not ever really thought that much about Hannah's reaction to Presria until this episode. Yeah, yeah. Uh, back in the locker room, Paige McCullers hands out little boxes and tries to call the team to order. Oh, she is so awkward and uncomfortable with herself in this scene. It just, it makes me cringe. She starts to launch into a lecture about team spirit and then interrupts herself to demand that a swimmer not open the box until she's done talking. Um, the coach interrupts Paige, who is clearly campaigning for captain by saying she wants to see her swimming, not shopping. She rallies the team around Emily, who renewed her commitment to the team and broke a record today. Uh, the Sharks cheer and applaud. Paige is chagrined. Emily approaches her afterward, and Paige just storms out rather than speak to the prodigal swimmer. I also want to call out the short-haired swimmer standing by the bank of lockers. Is there a lesbian on the swim team that we haven't met? It's very possible. Um, I, I feel like I really like Coach Fulton. I feel like she doesn't handle this moment very well. Like Paige is, it's probably a good call to cut Paige off. But I think that um, uh, cutting her off in the way she does and then pivoting to talk about Emily probably just makes the situation worse and uh, is sowing the seeds for more competition. Although maybe she's doing that on purpose because she wants them working hard. Uh, but yeah, oh, Paige is so awkward. And Emily, you can just see that that Emily feels bad for Paige here. Yeah. 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 Okay. And then we have probably one of the most annoying Presria scenes to ever grace our screens. Um, we have more, more, more sort of swingy music playing in the background. Uh, Aria walks into Presra's classroom like she's got a secret. And uh, he, he refers to her as Ms. Montgomery and is already smirking. It's revealed that there are kids in this classroom taking a makeup test. But uh, Aria, Aria has a little has a little fun thing she wants to do. She stands in front of him, and and while she acts as though she has an assignment that she wants him to look over, she unzips her jacket, revealing the tie that she wants him to wear tonight, and uh, also revealing the the tickets that she got from Spencer. The blonde kid in the background is watching them. He totally knows what's up. Props to you, blonde kid, for paying attention. Uh, and I feel like Aria doesn't earn any queer look points for this tie in this moment because it's related to Prezra. Would you change your mind if that tie belonged to Spencer and Aria had borrowed it 
after the sleepover. Is she still giving it to Prezra to wear? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know, half points, half points for that. But you can just tell that this secret is totally turning both of them, and especially him, on, and I'm grossed out. I mean, I'm no expert on the mating rituals of straight people, much less uh, straight predators and their 16-year-old student girlfriends, but I really don't understand why they're both acting like this is an extremely sexy, cute moment. Like, she is unzipping her as though she's about, he's responding like she's flashing him her breasts, but she's not. She has, like, all kinds of clothes on underneath there, including this tie with the post-it that says, wear me. So I found this whole thing just sort of distasteful and confusing. Um, I think this is all supposed to be cute, but they are so troubling. They are. I think it's just the, the, the forbidden nature of it all. Like, I think that that's what makes it titillating for them. Um, that it's like, oh, we're not supposed to be doing this. But it's like, you guys are such idiots and you will continue to be idiots throughout this episode. Like you're not, you're not pulling the wool over anybody's eyes here. Uh, But we have this great Hannah scene. I love when Hannah has to talk to adults because Hannah is walking through the hallway and uh, coach Fulton, who's all over this episode uh, comes upon her and, and lets us know that Hannah has been skipping out on PE uh, she says, we, we missed you in PE. And Hannah says, I missed you too. And then starts talking about how her ankle is still throbbing. Uh, she, she tries to spin this story about uh, adrenaline in the moment uh, during the dance-a-thon, but Coach Fulton is not buying it. She gives Hannah detention. But uh, who, should, who should Hannah happen upon in the hallway? None other than new kid, Harry Shady, interested in detention, Caleb Rivers. Um, he teases that she could earn some real bad girl stripes. Uh, she is kind of, uh, you know, shooing him away, but she opens her locker and finds an envelope from A with a ticket to the art opening and a message that if she wants to save her mommy, she should let Arias know what her daughter is up to. And I'm going to let you describe exactly what's going on with this card. <laughs> Oh my god, I this was this was a genuine laugh out loud moment for me. So she pulls out this card and it's a happy Mother's Day card. It's a picture of a mother and a child like, you know, traipsing through a field together. But A has added as a speech bubble coming out of the mother's mouth, I need money. <laughs> Sometimes it's the simplest things that bring us the most joy. This felt very much in the in the category of the poor Geordie breakfast. Like, it's just stupid enough to be brilliant, you know? Um, yeah, and so, yes, so, so this is the, the setup here. Mona wants Hannah to, uh, to basically uh, be, be complicit in revealing Presri's relationship to Ella. Yes. Uh, Hannah seems uncertain when she gets this message, but the next morning we get a genuinely heartbreaking scene between Hannah and Ashley. Uh, Hannah comes into the kitchen and she finds Ashley in a sweater. Uh, She's like in sweats and a a shapeless gray sweater uh, curled up in a chair in the corner of the kitchen table, her arms around her knees. She's obviously really scared of the consequences of her actions. Uh, Mm -hmm. She pulls herself together a little 
uh, and says that she was planning to make pancakes. Hannah helps by finding the mix. They kind of talk quietly. Ashley offers to make bacon, and they're both clearly thinking this might be the last time Ashley gets to make breakfast for Hannah because she could be arrested. She could be in jail, uh, you know, by the time this is all over with. Uh, Ashley promises she'll always find a way to take care of her baby girl. And Hannah is really, she's just beside herself at seeing her mom like this. She goes into the living room and she writes Ella Montgomery's name on the envelope containing the ticket to the art gala. And it's interesting because it's almost, uh, you know, it's, it's not even really a forcing her to do this. It's almost at this point, a plea to a, to help them rather than a tit for tat arrangement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Uh, I was wondering how many times over the course of the series, will the Marin ladies have a, one of us might be going to jail conversation. Um, I can think so of like, many times. at least two or maybe three other times. Like it's just, you know, I mean, they, they were, you know, basically co-confessing to Wilden's murder. Like there was a lot going on. Um, but yeah, this is a really lovely scene and, uh, seeing Ashley so vulnerable and scared is really, really heartbreaking. Yes. Yes, indeed. Ooh, um, back in the locker room, Emily is lacing up her knee high brown boots and Paige has a new plan. (laughs) Oh, Paige. Paige. she she lurks by Emily's locker, weirdly handling Emily's bra, which <laughs> I I have never put my fashion boots back on before my bra, but I, I guess maybe it's a spare. I, I don't know. You do you, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> but Paige is lightly menacing Emily about her record setting. Uh, you know, oh, they'll have to check you for doping. Bring it on. Uh, and then Emily denies any interest in uh, gunning for team captain. Uh, Paige says that's good because being so into the breaststroke could really hurt you. Yes, yes. And then when, when Emily kind of asks what she means, Paige, Paige's eyes, which have just gotten crazier as this scene goes on, really get, uh, get super big. And she says, we all know what team you really play for. And, you know, it's like... Yeah, okay, but, you know, Emily's come out, she's been kissing Maya all over the school, and so I feel like Paige's game here, which is really no game at all, all it is revealing is the depths of her own insecurity and desperation. There's no gamesmanship really happening in this moment. Yes, yes, I definitely agree. Yeah. Um, So, Hannah, this is, we get this kind of long scene where... Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that Emily handles that threat really beautifully. Oh, like, yes. She's really strong. She just stands up to her. She says, if you want to beat me, work harder. And I just want to call out how far Emily has come from where she started at the beginning of the season to this point where she really like stands up to Paige and handles her business. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Emily is rock steady here. Uh, so Hannah drops the ticket off for Ella and, uh, and then Presria just makes some really obvious faces at each other across the courtyard. Uh, Aria, Aria, um, then walks over to Hannah, invites her for a mani-pedi, and when Hannah declines, Aria can tell that something is wrong. She, she pretends to care for, like, two seconds about Hannah's breakup before pivoting to talk about her own relationship, uh, and, and Hannah tries to casually suggest that Presria maybe cool off, maybe call off this date. 
But Arya, you know, cannot handle anybody questioning her her house of cards when it comes to Presria, and uh, and and they get into this big fight. Now, I think this is a this is really sort of a classic case of a forcing the liars to address their true feelings related to something because Hannah does feel weird about Presria, but within the confines of her friendship with Arya, she's not really allowed to question Arya's relationship, especially because she knows how intense Arya is about this relationship. So in this weird way, Mona has sort of given her an outlet to voice her discomfort by by presenting her with this situation. Yeah, I think that's really good. And we've seen Hannah have reservations about this relationship before. So A isn't inserting feelings that Hannah doesn't have. A is, as you said, just really like bringing these more to the fore. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. She's, she's really just sort of um, uh, providing a forum for Hannah to, to talk about these feelings. Uh, but uh, but yeah, we, we go to this lunch scene where like this very depressing liar's lunch spencer emily and aria um (laughs) spencer is trying so hard to hold court here and it's just it's not going (laughs) not at all not at all um but what is spencer's great line here in this scene to aria (laughs) uh spencer after monologuing about meat casserole and the lunch lady's gift for suspense uh while aria and emily sit there in matching tall boots, uh, being distracted, uh, Emily, uh, you know, Emily is like kind of thinking about Paige. Arya is thinking about this fight with Hannah. But Spencer, to try to get Arya excited about the date again, says that, uh, you know, yesterday you were ready to give me tongue for giving you two tickets. You're not into it anymore. <laughs> what an interesting choice of words, Spencer. Indeed. And Aria, for the record, does not deny her willingness to give Spencer tongue yesterday, today, at any point during the series. Uh, And Spencer's excitement does rekindle her own. Uh, She says that she can't decide between her backless or her strapless dress, to which Spencer has a definitive opinion and suggests the red one. Be bold. Yeah, Spencer is so into, into talking about all this Presria date stuff. Uh, yeah, she is like all in on Presria. And, uh, you know, when when Spencer asks Emily her opinion, Emily is distracted as Paige walks by. And uh, when Spencer asks what's going on, uh, Emily has a very interesting line. She says, oh, oh, that was just some girl on my swim team who wants me to disappear, which interesting choice of words, Emily wants me to disappear. Who do we know? Actually, two two important figures in Emily's life who have recently disappeared, Allison and Maya. Who have something really important in common with Paige. <laughs> oh, I wonder what that could be. Uh, I really want to know about the McHastings field hockey practice because when Emily reveals the name uh, Paige McCullers, Spencer immediately comments that they named a penalty after her in field hockey. And, uh, and when Emily reveals that Paige made some snarky comment about her being gay, Spencer's response is immediate. I will destroy her. Aria backs her up with saying, can I help? But this kind of uh, pivots to a mystery moment where they recognize that the bracelet that Paige gave, um, gave Emily and all of the members on the swim team, which is a beaded bracelet that says go sharks, uh, might be from the same shop as the Allison friendship bracelets. Yes. Um, I just have to say that Spencer, 
seems to have some very strong feelings about Paige McCullers right from the start. Uh, and I do, I do really love the way that Spencer and Aria are like instantly ready for war. Like the moment they hear that someone has uh, launched a homophobic attack against Emily, they are just both ready to like, you know, Spencer is going to throw down that metal cuff bracelet that she's wearing on just one wrist and, uh, and, and really go to town. Totally, totally. Um, yeah, but now they have a potential mystery thread to investigate. Yes. Um, in class with Ella, as the envelope sits on her desk, she is not teaching English. This appears to be a history class talking about appeasement. Uh, there are random historical things written on the chalkboard, like Gettysburg Address and Spanish-American War. And George W. Bush. Yeah. Um, Spencer asks a question, or answers a question about appeasement by saying that giving in to a bully never works. They're never satisfied. It's never enough. You have to stand up to them. Uh, Hannah seems persuaded. The bell rings, and she tries to go after Ella, but there is Coach Fulton to shuffle her off to detention if only any adult had ever paid as much attention to the liars as coach fulton is paying to hannah Marin in this episode things might have gone very differently oh it's so true it's so true um in detention hannah is seated next to caleb who is at his most bender here i feel like he is he is just you know he's calling her girl he's putting his foot up he's clearly very interested in her life but trying to play it off like he isn't and then they have this bizarre justin bieber conversation where hannah says the beebs like 20 times uh, i'm wondering if like is is justin bieber hannah's celebrity crush which i feel like kind of fits given sean um and and i'm i've got a posit that like between this and the Katy perry movie which got mentioned on the show like at least three times I'm thinking that the show's first couple of seasons were just like sponsored by these com- concert films. Um, but Caleb, Caleb is is curious. He uses his uh, his cell phone to write a an email to the um, the the person running detention that uh, appears to be from the, his social worker, getting himself out of detention. And she calls him Sketchy, which I love. Like just as a name, she's like, "Back off, Sketchy." But uh, they do talk enough for him to to learn that she does not want Ella Montgomery to get to Philadelphia because in addition to talking about Justin Bieber, Hannah is like muttering about this whole Ella situation under her breath the whole time. <laughs> Much like Spencer muttering under her breath at Camp Mona. Yes. Um, I will just say that, uh, you know, their hate flirting is, is kind of cute. I'm into it. But also... Um, Caleb, for all of the show setting him up as this great hacker with these amazing hacking skills, the skill of sending an email via your phone does not actually impress me. I'm starting to think <laughs> that his, you know, his whole deal might be a little overrated at this time. Yes, maybe he maybe he learned some skills, you know, later on, but yeah. Yeah, um, not super impressive here. But I do have to say their chemistry is impressive. I, I, I really, um, I'm enjoying early season Caleb a lot. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, elsewhere, Aria and the adult male teacher she's involved in an illicit relationship with continue to keep things on the down low as she goes to his building in a bold red dress. And then he picks her up in a limo. <laughs> 
there, nothing to see. And also- they, they start kissing before the windows even rolled up. Sorry. <laughs> also, Prezra is snobby about public transportation because he is a rich jerk as well as a predator. Yeah, I'm so skeeved out by him being like, you look good. And like, as if we needed this to be even grosser, we have to have like some Ezra male gaze happening in this episode. Well, well, also, I feel like one of the, um, you know, one of your prime directives, if you are conducting a secret relationship that you do not want people to know about, is that you... Like, nobody who is not essential to the continuation of the secret should get to know about it. So having, like, hiring a chauffeur to drive this limo to Philadelphia just really, it just, it doesn't seem smart. I don't think that somebody is generally going to, like, be looking at every single car going down any street in Rosewood. But I think if a gigantic limo happens to be pulled up outside an apartment building, you might look to see who is inside of it, who is getting into the car, and who is kissing with the window still down. As I said, I'm not sure about the mating rituals of straight people, but this seems like a weird one. I, I want to know the story of this limo driver. Like, is he just somebody, like, kept on by the, you know, by the, the Fitzgerald family? Like, to, you know, like, he he's probably, like, helped that mom, like, bury a body in the backyard. He's probably, like, bailed the brother out of juvie a couple times and, like, you know, drives Ezra around for his illicit um, goings-on with teenage girls. Or maybe he's, like, an undercover detective or something. Like, I want to know this guy's story. It's a good point. I do believe he's probably a Fitzgerald family fixer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Fitzgerald family fixers coming to freeform this fall. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Hannah gets out of detention, miserable at the fact that it's already 4 p.m. Uh, as Ella emerges from a coffee shop and hops into her car. It won't start, but at least it's not full of bees. She doesn't know how lucky she is. I took that same note. Like, remember when Ella's car is attacked by bees? Yeah, I don't know why. She has a lot of car. Like, I mean, it's tough to say, like, which mom has, you know, like, worse things happen to them. They all have their challenges. But, like, Ashley is constantly almost being arrested whereas ella is just constantly having like minor to major uh caleb versus b related car trouble yeah yeah exactly (laughs) hey hacked her car with bees (laughs) um back at school coach fulton calls a summit of the rosewood shark lesbians um she she uh she mentions that there has been uh that it has come to her attention that somebody has made a homophobic comment she kind of keeps things vague Paige is super super quiet and in fact totally silent and uh, emily quickly covers for Paige. uh coach fulton lets Paige go and uh pay and but remarks to emily that she can't help her if emily doesn't tell her the truth Emily quickly brushes the whole thing off. Yeah, Emily is just like, no, no, all misunderstanding, no further action needed. Uh, But I think it's actually nice that the school staff is so willing to go to bat for Emily. I do, too. I do, too. I also think it feels very in character that Emily doesn't 
want to make a big deal about this agree agree um ella's day has gotten even worse as she has called byron montgomery to mansplain cars to her (laughs) even though he clearly has no real idea what he's doing just giving her suggestions about jiggling the key and repeating the phrase kill switch you know what is so funny is that i also have the word mansplain in my notes but i realized freudian slip here i wrote ezra instead of byron (laughs) interesting yes yeah you know really great in this scene is if as they were having this car trouble the limo (laughs) pulled by in the background with the window still rolled down and Prezra (laughs) making out the bag oh my gosh uh back at the Hastings house Jason is in the house when Spencer walks in uh he reveals that the housekeeper let him in and oh the stories this housekeeper must have oh well, I assume that the housekeeper gets fired for the security lapse because we never see her or hear mention of her ever again. That's true. Maybe she can be a guest star on uh, Fitzgerald Family Fixers. <laughs> Coming to Freeform this fall. <laughs> yes. Hey, if the perfectionist can go to series, you know. Um, but the, he he reveals that the picture is in fact authentic, and then we have the start of Jason's "I was high for ten years" storyline, as he reveals that he doesn't remember taking the picture because he was in fact high all the time, and uh, who else was partying with him but Ian, who liked to party at the dealer rentes house. Spencer is pretty shocked because she always thought that Ian was the poster boy for preppy. But uh, Ian reveals, you know, preppy by day, party boy by night. Also, Spencer, are you really naive enough to think that preppy boys are not, like, the biggest party animals? Come on. Look at your father. (laughs) Um, Ella and Byron are fighting about their shitty car and shitty marriage when it is revealed that Byron was allegedly on his way to a date. He's wearing a new shirt and he's been working out. Because Ella walked out on him after he cheated and lied about it for a year and recruited their daughter to cover his tracks. But that is not worth a mention. Ella decides to take a cab. Byron insists that he will drive her to Philadelphia. Yeah, like Byron's poor date. I mean, first of all, that this woman would be going out with Byron Montgomery in the first place. But then that he's like basically standing her up to go drive his ex-wife to Philly. Like, God, no class, man. Uh, like do you believe that byron really had a date um i always kind of assumed he was going out with meredith oh that's interesting i assumed that he's just been working out and wore this nice shirt because he was planning to creep on ashley some more (laughs) you know i mean either works it's possible that it could have been either of them Uh, But back at the Hastings house, this is a great Spencer and Emily scene. They are hurriedly eating dinner at 4.30 uh, because they have to get to the bead shop at 5. And we all know what happens when Spencer's blood sugar drops. Uh, This is the first, but certainly not the last reference to what happens when Spencer doesn't have enough to eat, which I love as as somebody else who like turns into a total bear when my blood sugar drops. I, uh, I, I relate. Um, but they are going to go to the bead shop and, uh, and very quickly it is revealed that Spencer was the one who talked to coach about Paige's comment, 
which, uh, you know, I mean, Spencer's heart was in the right place, but this, I really feel, was a bad move. She should have talked to Emily about it. I, she acts like she just thought Emily wouldn't think it was a big deal. I think that she knew that Emily wouldn't want her stepping in. And I also am so curious, you know, this scene ends with um, Emily saying, I can stand up for myself. And Spencer saying, well, you never did with Allison, which really um, makes me wonder, like, what did Spencer observe about the Emerson dynamic? Uh, we quickly see that that is, that is pretty much Emily's trigger point, and she walks out. And this is such a kind of classic Spencer move, where in trying to do the right thing, she inadvertently crosses a line. And um, this is really the, the first in a long line of Emerson becoming a friction point between Spencer and Emily. Yes. And I think that Emerson actually becomes a friction point between Emily and the rest of the group because there is an element to Emily's interactions and feelings for Allison uh, that the other liars don't have. Like Emily is always going to have her vision of Allison clouded by love in a way that the other liars, you know, they love Allison too, but <clears throat> their love tends to be a little bit more clear eyed. Um, they don't, you know, their eyes don't turn into like little heart emojis whenever uh, Allison is actually around. Um, but I actually, I disagree with your feeling that Spencer was trying to do the right thing and crossed a line. Spencer is really clear here that Paige has been bullying people since JV. She feels like someone needs to stand up to her. Um you know, Spencer kind of, you know that Spencer is playing dumb when she tells Emily, like, oh, I didn't think you cared if the coaches knew you were gay. Like, she knows that that's not what Emily's mad about. So I think that Spencer is being a little deceptive here. And I think it's important to clock who Spencer is acting like. She's taking choices away from her friend. She's getting information and using it to manipulate a specific situation. And she's zeroing in to put pressure on a known weak point, I think this is another early instance of Spencer acting a lot like A. Oh, that's so interesting. I mean, I can definitely see that side of it. So what do you feel like Spencer's motivation is in, for, to do this? I think that Spencer, as A, is becoming ascendant, as A, is manipulating more about what's happening in the liars' lives. And we saw that in the last episode where Spencer said, you know, what if we're walking into a trap and Aria kind of said, you know, you're already living in the trap. Um, mm -hmm. It was last episode of the episode. Recently they said that. And I feel like Spencer, because she feels that that is a big thing that she cannot control. I think that Spencer wants to exert control over the controllables. And so hmm. she is, acting, um, she's acting that out like in a micro way. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's a very interesting take. Um, I this is I feel that this is absolutely not the last time that we'll see this dynamic play out between Emily and Spencer. Uh, I think that Emily and Spencer have one of the one of the most interesting uh, relationship dynamics of the liars because Spencer um, Spencer often acts in these ways that are are sort of on the surface, very protective over Emily, but ultimately kind of harmful to Emily or um, like don't, don't give Emily agency. And uh, yeah, that's, I, that's, you know, Emily clearly feels that way in this moment. 
Yeah, they have a lot of fake fights. Uh, the the fake Spemily fights are always really fun to see. Um, but this one, this one feels really real, particularly when Spencer throws that out about Allison. You can see how hard it hits Emily and, uh, <clears throat> you know, how quickly she needs to bounce after it happens. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it reminds me a lot of um, in season four when Spencer follows Emily to the warehouse where she's meeting Allison and and it's again it's like surface level spencer is worried about emily and thinks that emily is falling into allison's web but also spencer thinks that she's kind of losing some of her grip over the group now that allison is back and emily you know much like aria flips out whenever anybody goes near presria Emily flips out whenever anyone goes near near Emerson, and that is such an interesting moment. I look forward to talking about that more in depth when it happens. I love that fight. That's one of my favorite fights over the course of the series. <sighs> okay, but um, at the museum, Presria is getting some air and talking about the artist whose work is being exhibited did not show up for the opening. He jerks away when she tries to hold his hand then relaxes saying he forgot where they were for a moment now i am not convinced that 30 minutes is a sufficient safe distance for taking an illicit affair out of the shadows like there was that couple that got caught cheating because the google maps car took a picture of them like this is the world that we live in (laughs) but i also don't think that like holding hands in public is like you know he is her adult man boyfriend I don't think that holding hands is really like the Maginot line of public intimacy, considering you're already out of town at a formal event with him and rode together in a limo. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, th- this scene is interesting because um, it starts off with with Prezra saying, like, sorry, I needed some air. I mean, he's the one that leads them outside to stand, you know, on the street, on the steps of this museum in front of God and everybody to hold hands and make out. And it almost feels like he's doing this on purpose. Like he's putting them in this public sphere on purpose, which certainly um, could be, you know, what we, what we will later learn about Ezra and, and the possibility, you know, that he, that he was involved in some A shenanigans. Uh, But it, it it feels almost like he's trying to, to broadcast what's going on with them. That is a really interesting point because I feel that one of the things that Arya worries about uh, in terms of their relationship is she worries about how much trouble he could theoretically get into if their relationship became known and the things that she worries about she worries that he could lose his job and therefore his source of income and she worries about him being arrested and the thing there are many many things that Prezra knows that Arya does not know at this point and one of those is that he has enough money to basically make both of those worries go away. So I think it's entirely possible that by parading them uh, on the steps of the museum, that he is doing this to kind of like reiterate to her that he is willing to hold her hand and he is willing to tongue kiss her in public. Gross. And, uh, you know, like take their relationship to the next level in this way uh, to like, you know, it's, it's just like a, a show it's a parade that he's making to gain her trust yeah yeah i think that that's that that's entirely possible i mean so much of ezra um being with aria is just this giant performance right this performance yeah. of a being a good boyfriend um so so at the bank ashley is waiting anxiously in her office 
the show, you know, they don't spend a ton of time with this storyline, but I feel like the, the time that they do spend it is very effective. And this feeling of dread is so palpable here. Hannah shows up. She is like in tears. She says, you know, she couldn't wait at home. She had to wait with Ashley. She says, you know, I can't lose you too. And um, as the two of them are just waiting in panic, um, a woman comes in, presumably the bank receptionist, and uh, do banks have receptionists? Sure, why not? And uh, reveals that Mrs. Potter had a heart attack and died. And uh, Hannah's eyes are just brimming with tears. It's a weird place to be in to be very relieved that an old lady has died, but that's what their lives have come to. They embrace. And my question is, did A kill this woman? I think it is totally possible. I think it is possible that Mona killed this woman. I think it is possible that Ashley killed this woman. I think it is possible that Hannah killed this woman. I mean, I I definitely Hello. think... <laughs> yeah, I think it is really, really um, convenient, certainly, that Mrs. Potter drops dead from natural causes. I think that the autopsy should probably check for nicotine and antifreeze, but... Um, at, at any rate, conveniently enough, uh, Mrs. Potter, after uh, filling her safety deposit box with all those bricks of bills, has now died uh, before anyone, before the law can catch up with the Marin girls. But I really, I love the line that Hannah has here when she says to Ashley, I can't lose you too, because I feel like that really centers the way that uh, Hannah is acknowledging that she's lost her father to his new family, uh, that she's lost Allison to being uh, presumably murdered at this point on the show. She just lost Sean at, at the dance-a-thon. He's no longer her boyfriend. She, we haven't seen her with Mona for many, many episodes now. So there's a distance that's forming between her and, um, you know, somebody who is previously her right hand. And she was also recently hit by the car, which I feel like, you know, even though she's recovered from that physically, and even though she didn't lose her spleen, she did really lose a certain sense of invulnerability. I feel like when Hannah goes over the roof of that car and wakes up in the hospital, um, what Hannah loses in that moment is the sense that it's all going to work out and that somehow or other everything is going to be okay. Yeah, I agree. Do you know, um, do you know what other character says that same line to another character on Pretty Little Liars? I can't lose you too. Spencer will later say that line to Hannah in one of my favorite Spana moments in, I think, season two. Be still yeah. my heart. I know. I know. Um, yeah, I love this scene. I, I think, you know, like seeing, like, it, it just, I just think that they, they play the emotion of it really, really beautifully. Hannah is just like, oh man, she is been through the ringer in this episode in this whole half season really but especially in this episode uh well no there was also the cupcakes episode and the lucas dance episode and the episode where she got hit by car she's having a hard time she is she is this is um she's not at her most emotionally healthy during this half <laughs> it's a good time for caleb to show up honestly like she needs she needs a little fun in her life i think um yeah. So, so back in, in Philadelphia, Ella and Byron finally pull up to the art museum. It's dark outside. Um, I have no idea, like, the timing of this evening, how this is all supposed to have gone. But they're still talking about their car, which sounds disgusting. There's, like, an old turkey wrap that rolled under the seat and turned into, like, started smelling like roast beef. Like, my God. The mating, the 
mating rituals of straight people are impenetrable in this episode. It is impossible to parse. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah, I'm assuming that the museum would be closed at this point because it seems like it's like 10 o'clock at night. I know it probably isn't, but it kind of feels like it is. Um, I'm, I'm actually, I can tell you what time I think it is. I think it's before five o'clock. It's in between four and five o'clock because uh, it was four o'clock when Hannah got out of detention and Spencer's appointment at the bead place was at five. And that happens like we see that after this. So um, apparently there was an eclipse and or darkness just descended onto the greater Philadelphia area. Apparently so. Yeah. I mean, it is presumably somewhere between what, like October and January at this point. Who knows? Uh, stole the sun (laughs) and now uh, in in addition to darkness descending uh another thing that has descended is straight women's standards for the behavior of men yes yeah um ella remarks that she doesn't know anyone who would drive her to philadelphia which does ella not have any friends like my god woman (laughs) Um, and they start making out and presumably, I think, have sex in the back of Byron's car. Uh, everybody is just getting busy at this art museum. Again, like, it would be such a huge laugh if the limo drove by in this moment. Um, and they did, like, you know, like, this, like the window was rolled down and, like, Ezra and Aria were, you know, getting busy in the back of the limo. Like, that would be so funny. Uh, but alas, uh, this is where the scene ends. Um, we go to Spencer at the bead shop. I feel like um, Spencer... Spencer being on the heels of a fight with a fellow liar and then having to go do a mystery thing is like a, th- a thing that we'll see a few times throughout the series. Like, he always comes first. You got to take care of it. And Spencer um, so often has to go and follow up on a clue at a retail shop of some sort. Um, like, that's just like the number one kind of clue that she has to go after. Um, I really, this elderly woman uh, that Spencer is interrogating, this lady is wearing like six or seven giant beaded necklaces, which I think it's too much to hope that anyone who is wearing this many beads, including her glasses that are on that giant beaded chain, is going to be keeping meticulous records. But nevertheless, Spencer persists. Yeah, I I said that this woman went to the Mrs. Potter School of Batty Old Women. (laughs) Like, she's just, she's just like, oh, like, she's just so flustered. Uh, and then we have this great Spencer is a moment when the woman reveals that who, who allegedly purchased these bracelets, but none other than Spencer Hastings. Yes, dun, dun, dun. Um, I feel like this is, uh, I-, I called her the bead biddy in my notes. So I'm, I'm definitely with you on the Mrs. <laughs> Potter connection, but my question here is, did Spencer just automatically make this bead-seeing appointment under an alias so that the bead biddy doesn't catch that this is really weird? <laughs> oh, that's a good point. Maybe she made it under Emily's name. They were yeah, maybe. I, I just think it's hilarious to think of Spencer, like, having a list of aliases that she uses for, like, totally innocuous errands such as this. Yes, yes. Vivian Darkbloom, perhaps. Um, no, Spencer wouldn't. Spencer would go with a subtler alias than that. Um, yeah, yeah. So Spencer is Spencer is stunned. Spencer is possibly A. Um, at school the next day, uh, 
Hannah very tentatively is approaching where Arya is sitting out in the courtyard. She, of course, thinks that Arya has been busted because Ella showed up to the art opening. But Arya is, in fact, delighted. She had a great night with Fitz. They rode in a limo. And uh, the only thing that made it bad was that she and Hannah were, were fighting. Hannah doesn't, um, doesn't tell her. And again, we just see Hannah like swallowing, swallowing down her guilt, swallowing down her sadness. You can just see it weighing on her. I had forgotten um, it, the first time I saw this, whether Arya ever found out about this, but she does, I think in the next, like pretty soon in the next episode. Um, yeah, this is a, a sad, a sad moment, but Arya does have a, a great line here. She says that Ezra is somebody that I'm willing to take a risk for. And uh, Hannah gets that because her mom is somebody that she's willing to take a risk for. So I like that as a point of connection between them. But I also it, it's kind of like when they were comparing the Presria relationship with the Amaya relationship. Like, I, oh, I just yeah, feel yeah. like um, I mean, a thing that's different is that Ashley is Hannah's mom and is worth taking a risk for. Uh, whereas Prezra is like trash and is not worth picking up if you find him on the ground. Yes, to clarify, I don't like that line for Prezria. I like that line for Ashley and Hannah's <laughs> yeah, relationship. For- <laughs> I just like took the parts I liked out of that scene and like decided. Yeah, I like I like those. this as a Hannah Arya moment. Um, I I like them making up, and I like when Arya says that the only thing that made her night less than perfect was her being in a fight with Hannah. I like that um, even in the midst of all of her um, happiness that she was having legitimately in those moments, um, that she didn't just forget about the situation with Hannah, that it did still, you know, she took that with her too. Totally, totally. Um, Do you want to take us into this? uh, this Oh, man, I do. Emily swimming laps alone in the pool, but not quite alone as a hand reaches down to hold her underwater when she starts surfacing at the end of her lane. Emily struggles, gets her head above water long enough to breathe, then is plunged under again. Once she gets free, we see that it is Paige McCullers who has been trying to drown her. Oh, God, there is so much going on here. The main text is the page has just seen the lineup and Emily is replacing her as the relay anchor. Emily says to take it up with the coach page like you did. I would never rat out a teammate just because my feelings were hurt. Strong words regarding camaraderie for someone who is just holding their teammates head underwater. But be that as it may, uh, subtextually this scene. Wow. Like, I don't think Paige is really trying to drown Emily. I think she's trying to intimidate her, but she is like, there's so much happening. She's trying to suffocate her own queerness, uh, the part of herself that she loathes and that's reflected in Emily. Uh, She's also trying to punish Emily the way that she believes gay people, herself included, deserve to be punished. Uh, Paige's most firmly rooted feeling coming from her own internalized homophobia is that if anyone knew about her being queer, it would ruin her life. So to see Emily be out, to see her have a girlfriend who she kisses in the cafeteria, and then see her come back to the team and be accepted and be breaking records, to see her be out and thriving, it is killing Paige. It is the same thing that infuriates Paige about Emily swimming, that things that are hard for Paige, Emily makes look effortless. 
Yeah, yeah. Oh man, this scene is this scene is hard to watch. I mean, Paige has that line, I take care of things myself, and the line about, you know, f- because your feelings were hurt. You can almost hear Paige's dad saying that to her. I mean, I feel like that's not even Paige talking in that moment. That's Paige, that's that's Nick McCullers right there. I mean, I I completely see the McCullers house as a as a place where, you know, Nick is just the drill sergeant just drilling these ideals into Paige and uh, and she's internalized it so much and really internalized his homophobia, as you were saying. Um, and yeah, she, she's just, she's under so much pressure. Paige is under so much tra- pressure and it is just spilling out in this moment. Um, she is, you know, uh, what, a powder keg about to explode? I mean, it is like, it is, it is intense here. And she just cannot handle, I mean, much like, not much like, but in a similar way, I think to Arya's kind of Presria house of cards that Hannah was knocking down at the beginning of the episode. I feel like Paige kind of has this house of cards that Emily's very presence just completely dismantles and she cannot handle it. Um, but I, I do think it's it's worth it now to kind of reopen that conversation on Paley Um, I don't even want to say Paley versus Emerson, but Paley and Emerson, because I think, you know, something that gets talked about a lot is Emily's really her two main relationships in the show, her relationship with Paige and her relationship with uh, with Allison, both uh, start in places that are pretty toxic to Emily as a character. Uh, In the case of, of Paige, it's it's really this this physical this moment of intense physical violence uh, in the case of Allison, it's uh, Allison's, you know, you could call it emotional abuse. You could call it internalized biphobia. You could call it a little bit of both. Um, you could call it leading Emily on. And uh, what are what are your thoughts on that and maybe the ways in which they are similar to one another or the ways in which they uh, maybe deviate from one another and what it means kind of for Emily? Well, I think they're extremely similar. And I don't think that that is an accident. I think that there is a reason that Emily responds to both of them. Um, I think that Allison was definitely a bit of a bully. And in this episode, Spencer describes Paige as having been a bully since JV. So I think that they have a similar way of dealing with the world. I think that Allison uh, you know, Allison does it in terms of, you know, excelling in the social sphere and kind of controlling things uh, through her, you know, various machinations in that way. Paige is not doing as good a job of sublimating her feelings, and uh, she's also not doing as good a job of keeping things under control uh, where Emily is concerned. But I think that Paige. Uh, is trying to make herself as perfect as possible to protect herself from people thinking that she might be different. And I think that she is uh, very similar to Allison. I I have a fic that is a a Paige Allison story uh, that kind of goes into some of the similarities with them. But I actually think the character that Paige has a great deal in common with and who I also ship her with pretty hard is... Spencer, uh, in terms of the relentless uh, quest for perfection, in terms of uh, a difficult relationship 
with your parental expectations, etc. Um, and I, I think that Paige being a character who is somewhat like Allison and somewhat like Spencer makes her someone who is going to be very compelling for Emily. Yeah, I think that that's a great point. Um, you know, I, I was thinking as you were as you were talking, I was thinking about the parenting of, of all three of those characters and how they all experience a tremendous amount of parental pressure. But whereas I think that um, Spencer's parents and Allison's parents are are really kind of um, go wildly between being very sort of controlling and also and very absent. I think that Paige's parents are almost too present in her life, at least at this point, that they are, that they are rigidly controlling so much of her life. And, uh, and, and she hasn't even gotten to a place where she is desiring to rebel against them. You know, I mean, Allison was all about rebellion, right. Uh, in, in, in ways big and small, but, but Paige hasn't even been able to get there yet because she's been so, uh, sort of rigidly controlled by her well yeah and, and Paige is a character you know we, we see her a lot in the environment of sports and swimming that's a, a main uh, you know kind of through uh, through line for her character and in in this episode she's specifically gunning for team captain etc and so I think that she spends a lot of time trying to how do I want to say this? She spends a lot of time trying to like drill the weakness out of her. She's somebody who has been kind of set up to believe that you can, you know, that like if, if you have a weak part of your stroke, you can work on it over and over and over again until it improves. Like if you have a, a part of your performance that is not where you want it to be, you can, you can fix it. You just have to work on it more and more and more. And I think the thing that is really problematic for her is that she cannot do that with her queerness. She cannot swim it out. She cannot uh, ignore it until it goes away. Uh, it's always going to be there. And seeing Emily is always going to like engender in her physical reactions that, that make that you know, really, really difficult for her to come to terms with. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I feel like Paige, I mean, the, the archetype of Paige's character is actually feels similar to like, um, you know, like a young boy who plays football and like his dad played football. And I was trying to think of like, is there like a, a, a Friday Night Lights analog character to her? The, the closest one I can come up with is like Luke Cafferty, but I don't even think that's quite, that quite tracks. But um, in terms of like, there's almost the sense of um, whether it's a legacy or whether it's just the need to be perfect, that it's, it's so, it's so drilled into her. We'll also learn in season three that Paige has, has had um, feelings towards Emily for a very long time. This isn't just, you know, since Emily's been, been out with Maya, uh, even back when, you know, when Allison was still around, Paige, uh, Paige Paige had feelings towards Emily, which just totally breaks my heart. Like the thought of, you know, little like 14 year old Paige um, seeing Emily Fields and, and, and being attracted to her, but also maybe feeling the sense of kinship in the, in the, in the sense 
somehow that that there was this similarity between them, you know, this this yearning. Um, I just find that dynamic of, you know, Paige yearning for Emily while Emily was yearning for Allison, which is, again, a dynamic that we'll see play out a few times over the show. Uh, so, so fascinating and and so sort of um, equal parts tragic and beautiful, yeah. maybe. Yeah, I feel like we were kind of touching on earlier uh, the way that people tend to be either really in the page camp or really in the Allison camp in terms of who Emily, uh, who Emily should wind up with, who they feel like deserves Emily the most. Um, and I mean, Emily herself certainly seems to have trouble deciding that over the course of the series. Um, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I feel like it's almost one of those, like Anais Nin, we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. I think that some people identify really strongly with Paige as a character and therefore they really want Paige to get what she wants and be happy. So it's Paige Emily. I think other people identify really strongly with Emily and want Emily to be happy and therefore maybe ship Emily and Allison because that's who Emily seems to want. Um, But I just think that like Paige and Allison are both really interesting characters. They're, they're really uh, not the cookie cutter queer love interests that you see on a lot of shows. And I just think both of them Mm -hmm. have a lot of layers to go into and uh, both of them, to some degree, I think, are actually, I- I'm going to say, like, I guess the caveat here would be, like, early seasons Allison as opposed to later seasons Allison. But I think both of them may even have a lot more layers to them than Emily herself. Well, you know, what I was going to say, I-, I agree. And I actually think that Paige gets to be probably the queerest character on the show. And I, I think the reason for that is because Emily, you know, Emily is, is the gay character in the show of straight characters. And so she, she kind of, um, she, she sort of has to be this non-threatening gay character in a way. She doesn't really get to talk about her queer experience a whole lot past her coming out arc. And I think that that Paige coming in, being a character who largely has scenes with um, with another queer character, and being a character who, um, it, it, you know, it's kind of that thing of like how the best supporting actress often gets more interesting things to do than the lead actress. You know, it's like Paige gets to gets to have um, gets to speak to the experience of her queerness a little bit more than Emily does, and I think that. Um, for that reason, I think there are a lot of queer folks who feel more connected with Paige than, than Allison, certainly, who never gets to speak about her queer experience. Um, but also even then Emily, who, especially as the seasons go on, um, you know, there are times when her queerness feels all but erased. I would definitely agree with that. I would also say that when we see Paige for the first time in this episode, and she's wearing that skirt and that like way too long weird looking necklace and she has these bangs and she's so uncomfortable with herself when you think about that like sighting of Paige McCullers in that moment and then you track her all the way to her final episodes in season seven where she's wearing that like tweed 
blazer that has like a little bit of shoulder pad. And I, I, I didn't look it up, but like, I want to say it even has like leather patches on the elbow and she's like wearing jeans and she just, her hair is like kind of feathery and she's so comfortable with herself. She's so like soft butch in, in those scenes. And I just feel like it's what you said. Like she has such a great journey from this, you know, this teenager who is just so, petrified of herself and of her feelings and of the way that the world is going to look at her to that woman who really uh you know who who knows who she is who is finding her place in the world um i i agree i think she's the queerest character and i think that she has the most rewarding queer story arc on the show Yeah, I mean, yeah, absolutely. You look at her, like, her, just her journey with Allison. I mean, my God, you know, Allison, um, they they were so much set up as rivals, and they they were, um, you know, they they both feared each other, they hated each other, and then at the end of the series, for Paige to, um, you know, to be the Emily saying don't look away saying the whole world is going to change yeah it will to allison like i just think that's one of the most brilliant brilliant arcs i can really ever recall seeing for a queer character and yeah i mean you know certainly like season three and four page is kind of um like her character might get a little weird and her relationship with emily is kind of like it's not very healthy, but the show is calling it healthy. Like it's kind of like this weird emperor's new clothes thing. But, um, but I, I, I think that in terms of like the character who comes back in season seven, like you're saying, like, it's just this, this self-assured queer person who isn't going to apologize for who she is and who, I, I mean, the fact that she doesn't get the girl in the end in some ways almost makes me love the storyline more because it isn't about that ultimately for Paige it's it's about getting to be herself in the end absolutely oh my god I agree 100% with whatever with everything that you just said Uh, I'm so glad she's here and we're gonna have so much to talk about as her storyline unfolds over the course of the next few seasons yes oh my god yeah we might have to do like a page bonus app just to talk about the magic of Paige. Hey there, Paige McCullers. By the way, like anybody who who hasn't listened to the song "Hey There, Paige McCullers" on YouTube, go listen to that song right now. It will break your heart and heal your heart all at the same time. Indeed, indeed. Um, whew. Well, Hannah finds mm-hmm. Caleb lounging against her locker. They have a bit of antagonistic banter, and Caleb shows off the part of Ella Montgomery's car that he swiped to prevent her from making it to Philadelphia. Hannah is wary but impressed. She asks how much she owes him. And like with Spencer breaking into Ian's office, Caleb claims he doesn't want her money. She can make it up to him later. She thinks he's a barnacle, but we are clearly getting a little crush in progress on both sides. And I I, I feel like um, the way that Caleb says as he walks away, because at the beginning of the scene, she she says like you're you're one of those things that they have to hack off the side of of ships but in in classic hannah fashion she doesn't have the word barnacle at the ready and i feel like the way he says they're barnacles as he walks away like that's the real caleb like there's a little bit of vulnerability there there's there's the smarts but there's also like this yearning 
and he drops the bravado for like half a second and I'm like yeah that's that's the real Caleb that's the real early seasons Caleb at least and uh yeah they they're they work like this this early version I mean it's reminding me that there was a time where Caleb was like not even just one of my favorite male characters on the show but like one of my favorite characters full stop so um, I'm kind of looking forward to, to revisiting that time yeah, period. Yeah, well, he is a barnacle. He does stick around on the side of our ship. Oh, boy. <laughs> yes, he sticks. He, yeah, he's like sticks around on the side of Vandermeeren, <laughs> on the side of Spana. Like he's just sticking uh, right there. Um, yes, in the hallway, uh, Arya and Ella meet up uh, and Ella wants to go clothes shopping. She thinks it's time for an upgrade. And they both lie about what happened the previous night. Arya spins a tale about her sleepover with Spencer that sounds much nicer than whatever she got up to with Presria. And uh, Ella says that she went to this art opening and Arya's hilarious wide eyes get even wider as Ella talks about meeting the artist. Of course, this is uh, one of those classic PLL moments where they're both lying, you know? Um, Ella is lying about you know, the fact that she was with Byron and Arya is lying about the fact that she was with like mother, like daughter. Yep. Apple doesn't fall far (laughs) from the tree. Um, Spencer, uh, Spencer has a little flashback to that night. Uh, and this big fight that she had with Allison. Yes. We know it's that night because Allie is wearing the yellow tank top of doom. Uh, And she also appears to be putting her foot down and saying, Melissa will find out about Ian and Spencer and the best thing Spencer can do is let her hear it from Spence first. I wonder if Allie is actually like tipping Spencer that some of the NAT videos are going to leak here, or if Allie is maybe planning to turn some of those in. Um, Because we know that Hmm. in the, in the general timeline, we know that she stole those from Ian shortly before uh, this is all happening. Spencer is furious and she agrees to tell Melissa, but then she threatens Allie that she's getting sick of her games. They all are. Allison says she can't be voted off the island because she made Spencer. She made them all. Uh, Spencer says she can't treat them like puppets. Allison says that's all they are. And Spencer threatens that it isn't a matter of who the liars would be without allison but who allison would be without the liars which is always a super interesting question to contemplate um she ends this speech by saying Allie is already dead to her allison storms out and then spencer follows yeah i love that line the question isn't whether we will exist without you but whether you will exist without us um, that you know that really made me think about your theory uh, that uh, the Allison in the flashbacks is just kind of a projection, and you know who is Allie without the liars? In season five, we'll see that she's really lost without the liars. That she she really um, she she doesn't really have an identity, and uh, she's she she needs them. You know, um, she's sort of a barnacle a barnacle on the side of of their collective liarship just hanging on uh trying to hold on to her well power. and also we've uh we talked about when the a stole christmas in that episode the liars are on the outs with Allie, and what does she do she tries to form a new group around herself but when the group isn't these particular liars when the group is kind of uh you know some lesser players like cindy and mindy and sydney 
Uh, and I wouldn't consider Jenna a lesser player. I certainly wouldn't dare to do that. But when the group isn't this particular group of liars, it's just not the same. Allison isn't the same. She's a shell. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That just makes me wish that in that scene when the, with them all in the masks, she had had a mask made of each of the liars' faces. <laughs> oh, each, each wearing but uh, we cut to the now uh, where the other liars are sitting around Spencer on her bed. They are comforting her as she admits that it was she and not Ian who is the shadow. Um, they're not judging her. They understand, you know, that uh, her saying Allie was already dead to her was something that she said in the heat of the moment. She didn't mean it. Allison said worse to them all the time. Uh, and Spencer, she says she feels guilty because it's like she wished for it and then it came true. And this is really as close as she can get right now to saying, actually, she maybe wished it and then chased Allie with a field hockey stick to make it so. They should have named a penalty after her. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Oh, uh, her train of thought is run off course by the sight of a figure in Allison's window. And it is Jason doing Toby's patented move creepy body language. <laughs> I'm not sure why the girls are freaking out about this. Jason moving around his own house. I don't feel like that's exactly incriminating. Yeah, I feel like they, like, I almost felt like, did I miss something? Like, they're playing this like it's this huge reveal, but yeah, he's in, oh, but wait a minute, doesn't Maya's family live in that house now? Oh, I thought that Jason, I thought that Jason bought the house when he came back to town. Oh, but maybe he didn't. Maybe you're right. Oh, okay. Well, if Maya's family owns the house, that's creepy as fuck that he's in that room. But if he owns the house, then I think it's just normal. Well, yeah, I I mean, I know that like we, we get confirmation that he does buy the house back at some point, but I don't... Is it after Maya dies? I don't totally remember. Well, like, when Maya like, comes back, her family isn't living in Rosewood anymore. Her family is like, they've, they've moved. So I thought that Jason already owned the house, but you might be right. Okay, if the St. Germains own the house and Jason is in that window, they should not be standing there staring at him. They should be like actively calling the police because there is an intruder. <laughs> Oh my god. But you know, like Wilden would show up and be like, hey, you know, like it's fine. Like let's get a beer, man. You're um, right. But still. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And if it wasn't Jason, it I would guess, be Garrett. I guess also um, I felt like if he was not like rightfully lawfully in the room, I would assume that if you're like conducting, like if you're sneaking around or like whatever and like a bunch of people are looking at you through their window you would like hit the deck you would like run out you would like behave in some other way but it is possible that jason is just extending his 10-year high and he doesn't live in that house anymore yeah i mean it almost seemed like he was sleepwalking yeah. or something um yeah yeah it's it's yeah i i don't know what's going on there but they play it like it's very very dramatic i also really wish that we'd gotten to see the emily spencer reconciliation mm, scene. Mm, true true 
Oh, we get to the A tag, which is uh, the bead bitty boutique, where the old gal is handing a black gloved hand a cup of tea, complimenting their interesting eyes and assuring them, I did just what you told me. And very creepily, there's like the sound of an animal moving around. And I assume it would be a cat, but she said, that's just my pet. And doesn't clarify like what kind of animal it is. I'm like, like, what's going on in this seed shop? But um, it's probably yes, like yes, we... a, a dragon made out of beads. I mean, I don't, I don't know. It, it could be, oh, it could be the parrot. It, oh, yeah, 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 totally, totally. Um, yes, yes, this is one of our first mentions of A's very interesting eyes. Uh, yeah, and that's the episode. And that's the episode. A, pr- a pretty good episode, maybe a bit scattered in some spots, but you know, really one of the first episodes where we see some major, um, some major liar fights that don't necessarily directly have to do with A. I mean, in some ways they do, but in some ways they're just about kind of you know the the liar relationship. Yeah, right yeah, I liked this episode. Um, I agree. You know, sometimes when you know the whole plot of PLL, you look back at some of these episodes and they all feel like filler. But that's just the way. That, that's the nature of how the mystery has turned out. But I like the I like the momentum in this episode. I like the friendship dynamics, and I particularly feel like having Paige around and having Caleb around are uh, some really good. Uh, good new energy that's uh, coming in here. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I think that Art Caleb, well, is Paige in the books? I think think that the answer to that is no. Emily is a really different character in the books. I think she's probably the most different uh, to how the characters are portrayed in the TV series. Book Emily is bisexual. She's also... um, I remember in this right is she Irish and she has like long red hair I mean she's really um she's really pretty different I don't recall Paige being in the books but um I am certainly not an expert on the sequence of events therein well I was just gonna say because I don't I'm pretty sure that Caleb is not in the books oh, yeah, and that's, that's uh, true. I she she winds he... up married to Mike Montgomery in the books yeah. oh that's so weird um, when, when in real life, we know that Mike and Nolan <laughs> are getting married. Uh, but, but I do think that it's, it's, it, it's interesting that these two characters that are completely inventions of the series feel like they bring so much life into the show. Not that the show doesn't have life before them, but uh, I think that we're seeing that, you know, for all that we fault the, the writers and they have many faults, they are good at creating some of these original characters. And I think that they have two uh, two really good actors playing these yeah, roles. Yeah, I would definitely, definitely agree. Oh well, if anybody out there has thoughts on uh, on Paige, on internalized homophobia or biphobia as it relates to her or Emily or Allison, um, if you have a compelling case that you would like to make on any of these points or thoughts on what exactly that was that Caleb stole from Ella's car. Um, or anything else, feel free to email us at everybodyapodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, you can check out our Instagram at everybodyapodcast. And we would really uh, love and appreciate if you would uh, give us a review or rating on iTunes. 
And next week we will be back with, is it the Je suis un ami? The, isn't that the episode where Spencer tutors Toby in French? I think it might be. You are correct. There's definitely some French stuff going on and, uh, I'm going to do my best to just talk about that episode as it exists in this particular season and not get into any of my feelings about that uh, French textbook that comes into play during the last ever episode of PLL. Wait, French textbook? Oh, there's like a French book of poetry. In the last episode? The thing that... Oh, good lord. Yeah, That's you right. have been blocking it oh, eternal sunshining it out of your mind. So I'm going to do that too. And we're just going to talk about the episode as it exists here in the first season of the show. Yeah. You know, we've got Caleb on the horizon. We've got Paley. Now it's time for some spooky action. Buckle up everybody. All right. Well, until next time, uh, thank you for listening.